0: Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. Super happy to be here. I'm your host, Nate Bird, and the other host is...
1: Rachel Weaver. Uh, Very happy to be back here with you guys again this week.
0: As always. We're going to jump right into our menace moment. And uh, as promised, we're going to be talking about the Honorable Reverend Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. Well, maybe not so honorable, but But (laughs) good dude nonetheless.
1: (laughs) I just wanted to add this in there. When I went to church last week, I went to Calvary, Mm -hmm. and the Reverend... Or no, it was actually Jonathan Jackson. I was talking about this that a reverend is a higher title than a doctor. So okay. if someone's like a reverend and a doctor. You say reverend a first,
0: reverend doctor. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and interesting. like
1: refer to like default is reverend, not their doctor title. Huh. I
0: didn't know that. I did not know that either. That's mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Yeah, just a little putting that out there for people. Hmm,
0: interesting. We'll touch on that in just a second. Okay. But yeah, so the Reverend Jesse Jackson was born in uh, born October eighth, nineteen forty one, in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, he was born Jesse Burns, but took on the name of his stepfather, Charles Jackson, when he was fifteen. And this is cool. He turned down an offer from the Chicago White Sox. Oh and wow! Instead, accepted a football scholarship to the University of Illinois. Um, And then after playing there for about a year, he transferred to Agricultural and Technical College of North Carolina, which was a predominantly black college in Greensboro. Um, And there he got a bachelor's in sociology in 1964. Um, He moved to Chicago in 1966 and did graduate work at the Chicago Theological Seminary before becoming an ordained minister in 1968. And then he became involved in the Civil Rights Movement. Well, he was already involved, but, um, he, you know, he became involved in the Civil Rights Movement and with uh, Martin Luther King um, when he marched with him in Selma in 1965. And he was also appointed as a, uh, the leader of the economic branch of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in Chicago. And it was called Operation Breadbasket. So he helped set that up in Chicago under the direction of Dr. King and other civil rights leaders. Uh, But he resigned in 1971 amid some accusations of misusing the organization for personal gain. And um, after he resigned from that, he immediately founded the People United to Save Humanity or PUSH. Um, In 1984, he founded the National Rainbow Coalition, which sought equal rights for black people, women and members of the LGBT community which is pretty amazing because um in 1984 nobody was talking about that exactly. issue. Exactly. And that was like in the height of the AIDS epidemic too. Right, especially
1: so, religious black men. Right.
0: Leaders. Right. How many black men do you know who were born in South Carolina in the 40s who were out here creating organizations to help gay p- gay people in the 80s? That's uh so that was impressive and very mm-hmm. much ahead of his time. Um And then, you know, he merged the two organizations, the Rainbow Coalition and the PUSH. Um, He merged those in 1991 to form the Rainbow PUSH Coalition. Um, In the 1970s, he traveled around the world quite a bit, speaking on different human rights issues. Um, He spoke out against apartheid. He advocated for Palestinians to have their own state. And he also negotiated the releases of American civilians and soldiers in Syria, Iraq, cuba gambia and yugoslavia throughout the course of his career which is pretty incredible yeah um and see in 1984 he ran for the democratic presidential nomination and mm-hmm. placed third in the primary and he ran again in 1988 and came in second and he wasn't the first black person or even the first black man to run for president charlie mm-hmm. chisholm ran back in the 70s i believe or maybe even the late 60s i'm not entirely sure we'll do a minute's moment on her too But um, his were the most successful bids for president up until Barack Obama in 2008. Um, Under the Bill Clinton administration, he became special envoy to Africa in 1997. And that same year, he also founded the Wall Street Project to help increase minority opportunities in corporate America. Um, He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2000. And he actually had a show on CNN called Both Sides with Jesse Jackson from 1992 to 2000, which is a good long run.
1: Yeah, that is. I didn't know he had a show. This right. is, I'm learning a lot here.
0: Yeah. Obviously, uh, see. He had remained. So he remained involved in politics. Um, he still is. You know, he like recently, or I guess a couple of years ago, he endorsed Bernie Sanders and mm-hmm. um, different things like that. So, you know, he's been involved in politics. But in 2017, he announced that he had Parkinson's disease. And in 2021, I guess he got COVID and was also, like, he spent uh, a few months in, like, a rehabilitative center. Um, His son, Jesse Jackson Jr., has served in the House of Representatives, um, representing the Illinois 2nd District, according to um, the internet. (laughs) I believe he has another son representing another district. Um, And let's see. In 1998, he and other Black leaders pushed for the adoption of the term African American, mm-hmm. um, which is why you know that's a, a popular term today. And I think we've maybe talked a little bit about this, but I think it'd be interesting to kind of talk about that. I, I save that one for last because the term African American is kind of a loaded one. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe in the '80s it described the situation, but I feel like nowadays, um, with the the amount of immigrants that are in the country, there's like a it doesn't necessarily apply to me, right? I would say, I think we talked about this yeah, before, Yeah, we talked too. about yeah. this.
1: We had okay, a yeah. I did a whole little sociology mm-hmm. explanation on ethnicity versus race and culture. That's
0: right, yeah. And didn't you say, was it like one in five uh, black, black people, people in the U.S. are immigrants? Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like.
1: hmm
0: Yeah, so like African-American doesn't really fit anymore because I know people who are actually from Africa or who have family from Africa who came here and they would be considered African American but since I grew up here this is all I've ever known I've never been to Africa I don't know anybody like, I don't know my family over there or anything like that I'm just a black American all right so term African American I think
1: African American still fits though we talked yeah. about this cuz they know where they're from African is a general term like I would never refer to someone who's Nigerian as African American oh, I'd true. be like that's you're Nigerian American so that's why I think African American technically I mean It's up to each person, but I think it Mm -hmm. still fits because African as a diaspora as a whole is what describes black Americans, like black people who are from America versus like most African people can trace their roots and so like they know where they're from so they have like a home country. The same way that Mexican Americans, right? Like Mm -hmm. Colombian American, whatever title, whatever nationality you wanna put on that. That's where their like family is from, but they are also Americans.
0: That makes sense. So, I guess it just kind of depends on the person. Yeah, it just depends on the person. So, for me, you can just call me good old fashioned black American. I'll take it. But, yeah, for anybody, you know, African American, black American, this is however you choose to identify. Mm
1: hmm. Yes. Um, so, did you want to go into what you were wanting to talk about today? Means?
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. So, this is kind of interesting. So, you know, one of the reasons we chose uh, Jesse Jackson is because we talked a little bit about him last week. And about his um, his son and, and all of that, but um, one of the things that I wanted to point out, and this is you know this applies to a lot of civilized leaders and things like that. A lot of them went to school for theology, um, and they came out with the titles of reverend or reverend doctor or what have you. And um, I wanted to point out that I think it's interesting how in the the LDS Church. Um, we view clergy very differently than we do in other churches. Very true. Um, I feel like there's like an air of, I don't know. I feel like we depend heavily on the idea of, of God revealing things to us uh, without the, the other aspect, which is you have to like prepare your mind um, and like study and things like that. And so in other religions, they take theology and clergy work very seriously. Uh, meaning that they go to school for many, many years. Mm-hmm. They study the scriptures. They they learn the Latin. They learn the Greek. They learn the Hebrew. They learn what different words mean in different translations and things like that. And then, um, you know, they receive a title, whether that's, you know, the title of, of priest or reverend or pastor or what have you. Um, that title is something that's earned and it's something that is, um, that, that comes after many years of study. And then you know, the, the, the goal is to, to prepare yourself as much as you can to become um, someone who can you know, like lead people to Christ. Right? And so I think it's interesting that there's a difference there um, in that in other religions, they study the scriptures and they learn um, and they go to school to learn those things. Whereas in the, the LDS church, um, there's more of this idea of God will call you and God will prepare you, which is true to some extent. But at the same time, um, it 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 makes room for a lot of of interesting climates within the church. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that in other churches, just because you know, it's just interesting. Like, I feel like it's my opinion. Like, I don't think one way is necessarily a hundred percent correct over the other. If that makes sense. Like, I wouldn't say that being or having this earned title makes you, like it makes you qualify in certain ways, but in other ways I think having like unpaid clergy work brings out a certain aspect of people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think having knowledge and having a background also brings out a certain aspect of a person and their ability to lead and know what they're talking about. So it's like I can see, I see kind of the benefits of both. Um and it's an interest i just think it's interesting and i feel like also being someone who really hasn't attended another like my experience in other churches is just visiting um and really it's a very limited knowledge before my family joined the church of jesus christ and so my personal like experience with it is very limited as well because i only pretty much know the non trained mm-hmm. unpaid I believe I'm called way, and um, I'm more crucial. Or not not cru- I'm more critical of that, obviously, because that's been my f- experience. I've seen it forward and backwards. Mm-hmm. So, I
0: guess that makes sense. So, I, so I guess for me, I think, um, I think understanding the scriptures is so important, right? So, uh, being growing up a member of the the Mormon Church, I when I was 19, I went on a mission for the church, a two-year mission, and I went to Houston right which is considered part of the bible belt right where you know the deep south where oh
1: yeah i know about that
0: they they know they are deeply christian and they are deeply um deeply religious and they study that they believe deeply in the bible and, and in the power that it has right and so um going down there i was very well versed in in the bible and also in the book of mormon because growing up you know my parents were my parents grew up southern baptist um And then when they joined the Mormon church, they they brought those same um, ideals and and values. And so I grew up always reading from the the scriptures. Um, I had, it was called the Action Bible. You might've heard of it. It's like a little comic book of the entire Bible. So I used to read that. I had like movies and videos and stuff like that. I knew every story, you know, pretty much every name, like major name in the Bible um, and in the Book of Mormon too. And so when I went out, like I knew, I knew my stuff. I knew how to talk to people about the scriptures. I knew how to how to bring points home. I knew how to use different stories to get my point across. All of those things, and what I found was that I was very rare among missionaries. Very rare. Um, there were missionaries that came out that hadn't even read the Book of Mormon, which is like the that's the the most prioritized book of scripture in the Mormon Church. You yes. know, for those that don't know, like it, the the entire LDS religion rests on the truthfulness of the book of Mormon. All mm-hmm. right. So it's like, if you haven't read that, it, the, you know, basically the belief is if you haven't read the book of Mormon and prayed about it to know if it's true, then you don't have a testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. Right. And so, um, that is, that's like the, the cornerstone is what they call mm-hmm. it, the cornerstone of the entire religion. And so getting out of my mission, I found that there were a lot of missionaries who had never even read the book of Mormon all the way through. Um, and
1: I was mm-hmm. like, man, then why
0: are you out here trying to teach people about <laughs> the religion if you don't even know about it? You know, and I think that's the difference. Uh, you know, I, I haven't interacted with a ton of, of missionaries from other religions, but the, those that I have interacted with, uh, they were very knowledgeable about what they were talking about. They had understanding of different languages, different translations, yeah, all those kinds of things. And so I just, I find it interesting that there's such a, a difference in like the way that we view scriptures and the way that we view the studying of them
1: yeah and um on the mormon stories podcast they talked about this in an episode that i was listening to the um and i'm crediting them because i didn't like they brought this knowledge to my to me is that the the church is very feelings based on understanding the truth and what is like the religion pretty much it's like what do you feel like what do you feel is true like yes read the scriptures but how do you feel when you read the scriptures Mm -hmm. and i feel like (laughs) <laughs> other churches again, my experience is limited, but I feel like other churches don't emphasize it in the same way that the LDS church does. Like that's how you know that this is church's church. That's how you know that this is the truthfulness. That's how you know that the priesthood is real and all these things. A lot of them solely rely on how you feel when mm-hmm. you read the scriptures, when you do certain things. And so the emphasis isn't on like knowing all these technical things and understanding the scriptures super well I have I met a lot of people in the church who know the scriptures very well yes do I know people who know all this random stuff that I did not ask to know yeah, about scriptures and can tell me the whole backstory of why these random things yes mm-hmm. and I love learning those things but um, that's kind of the difference I feel like in the church is that it's not even because in there the way it's taught is like man will never be able to really prove if religion is a thing, right? That's like the whole basis, right? Is that like you need to have faith. You Mm -hmm. need to have faith. You know, faith is a belief in things you can't see, right? And an action in that Mm -hmm. as well of doing something and reading scriptures and going to church and doing these things. Even though you don't know that it's there, you base that faith off the feeling you get when you do them. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, my personal belief in that flaw is that you can feel a lot of good things doing a lot of different things right. and it isn't um, unique to just reading the, the LDS scriptures. You can feel that way when you read the Bible, you feel that way when you read the Quran, any others, other people's scripture, you know what I mean? And also it also leaves the back end for what happens when you don't feel good when you do things. So, and like, so then it's not true for someone, right? Mm-hmm. And then like that leads to a whole other thing, but yeah that's kind of the biggest difference in the church is that it's very feelings based
0: mm. that's an excellent point yeah. mhm- It's definitely all about like how you feel as opposed to what you know or like they they want what you know to come from how you feel yes, kind of and like yeah. it's secondary right like mm-hmm.
1: it's like you can know all these things and have the most knowledge, but at the end of the day, it's how do you feel and what do you know to be true based on what you feel is true,
0: yeah you know, we could be looking at it in maybe sort of a biased way. Maybe yeah, it's yeah. true that that's in general— Yeah, that's what I see. Well, I'm more yeah. critical of this church because right, it's
1: our full experience and know. everything what we know.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's probably true that most people who consider themselves religious have a very surface-level knowledge of— Agreed. —of, you know, like gospel issues or, or spiritual is topics and things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I guess what I've found in my experience is that, you know— there are a lot of leaders who who have a lot of knowledge on things, but because of like the limited knowledge that other people have, it's hard to get those things across. Mm. And then also with, you know, within the LDS church, there's a lot of, um, a lot of like member participation. Yes. And so that also makes it difficult because when you have people with like a very surface level understanding of things, um, trying to break down, words or like topics from people who have a, like a a larger understanding of certain things it doesn't always like come off the greatest. So I feel like when I go to church I don't come away feeling like I've learned anything new or yeah. like anything different or anything I like maybe better because it's like there's just the same things being said over and over again. Yes. Where I would much rather, you know, just do it on my own if I wanted to learn something, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. When I think What's interesting is I think in other um, how do I say this because the church is more led by people who like don't necessarily always have this very strong gospel knowledge or whatever it may be or scripture knowledge. It can it leaves the opportunity for that to happen. My experience visiting other churches and maybe this again. Uh, I can recognize all my biases and experiences that are impacting the way I'm interpreting everything that has happened in my life. But when I go to other churches, it's um, because the pastor or reverend or whoever, bishop, I don't know what you want to call the whatever their title is, who is leading the service, right, and is giving um, a sermon, they normally are reading directly from scripture at some point in the sermon. I've never heard like a reading where they don't open the scriptures at some point, And, like, at least that's what they base it off of. They might start talking about other stuff, but that's what they base it off of. And um, in the church, we don't always do that when we speak about things. Like, people are, are allowed to kind of do what they want to do, mm. which there's beauty in that, right? And I right. I found that great in certain ways. And I grew up in a home ward with people who were very intellectual intellectual when it came to understanding the gospel. So I got that very, like, academic approach to understanding things for a very long time. In church talks, church lessons, but then you go to different places like Utah, where people are just given like, okay, here base your talk in church off of this conference talk, mm-hmm. and they can pull that any way they want to, right, right. and so they can start talking about freaking who knows what the hell like, and they have no like gospel backing for anything that they're saying on the stand. So there's like beauty in the ability to be able to participate, and everyone can contribute and have important things to say, but also there's nice. Um, it's nice to have structure in the sense of there's this reverend who has studied these things, who knows the scriptures and is able to, you know, can receive revelation when when they're choosing what to share with their congregation, but also they have this, like, scriptural knowledge um, kind of in their arsenal that you know is there mm-hmm. rather than with LDS people you don't know if it's there and they're just talking about their experiences with their freaking children and now that they know God is real. I don't know. Okay. Not that those are bad things. Those are, I'm not saying that in a... Way to, degr- to degrade people's experiences or knowledge, but I'm using it as a way to say that is very different than someone who studied theology and religion for four years and understanding the scriptures and all different languages, like you were saying in translations, who speaks every week to you. That's
0: a very good point, and yeah, I guess that's not you know that's not the case with every church. Like you can go online and get right. a pastoral certificate and then just start your own church. Like there's not a lot of regulation. A hundred percent. There is also that that sect of, of of people that, you know, take their religion very seriously and like want to study. But I guess you know, I guess what I'm learning here is it's kind of like every religion has its mm-hmm. you know, the people that'll do that and then the people that won't.
1: And it's is interesting. And then like, I feel like going on the mission, we were really entrenched in that doctrinal like mm-hmm. time. Like if you, you ever sit back and think about your mission? Oh my God. And think about how much we read the scriptures. Like, we were reading for at least an hour a day.
0: hmm A lot.
1: That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, granted, 20 minutes of that hour had to be for preach my gospel, but...
0: We didn't follow it that. Well, at no. least I never did. I my just, mission I president... I just kind of did my thing. Okay. Like they told us I should have to done do, that, but okay. I was just like... I'm my
1: gonna mission just, president... Like, I had preach my gospel, like, memorized, because we were supposed to read from it for 20 minutes every day. Mm. if you do that for a year and a half, two years, that's a lot. Yeah. And preaching my gospel is not that big. Mm. So... Yeah, I know some people who don't didn't do that too, and they like they were able to read like all four standard works, mm-hmm. like yeah. multiple times on their mission. Well, people do it in their free time too.
0: I, I wasn't that way, but I'm not gonna lie. Reading has always been like reading stuff like that has always been difficult for me. Like I I've read the I've read the Book of Mormon, the Bible, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Like I've read all of them all the way through, mm-hmm. but it took me. Probably most of my life. To yeah. Get all of them. Cause like, whenever I read. Something, I haven't read the Old Testament. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. It, unless it's the Old Testament is dope, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Which, That's good. You know, Isaiah gets a little difficult. But yeah. Like, there's a lot of cool things in there. But um,
1: that was my goal and my mission to understand Isaiah. I was r- pulling out all types of shit from the
0: internet. Don't. I gave up. I gave up. No. On Isaiah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll understand Isaiah when I talk to him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I remember. I guess for me, you know, whenever I read something that's, like, not fictional, I guess, it's hard for me to, like, stay focused on it. Mm. So, like, things like reading textbooks, reading scriptures, reading, like, biographies about people, it does not grab my attention the same way. And so I'll, like, find myself zoning out or, like, mm. having to go back and reread mm. and stuff like that to fully understand it. Whereas opposed to, like, you know, if I was reading something like Harry Potter or... Um, you know some other like book like a story. I'll blast through that thing like literally mm-hmm. I, I remember so I, for the longest time I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter and then for like my 10th birthday my parents were like surprise you're allowed to read and watch Harry Potter. I'm crying. And so I was like alright bet. And so This childhood
1: read, is always surprising.
0: <laughs> I literally <laughs> read the first five books in a week. Oh wow. And then I got in trouble and I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter anymore but that was the best week of my life. Um, but yeah so like things like that like I was able to read all of those books in like a week at 10 years old but like when it came to reading other stuff it was like man get this out of my face like even in college I won't I don't know if I ever like actually read a textbook I just kind of skimmed and like searched for different things just because yeah. I couldn't focus on it I don't know but yeah, just, I, I don't I, know where I, I was get going that. that I lost my train of thought no,
1: though. no, I feel like for me reading the scriptures honestly at first it was like that and then like the longer i was on my mission the more into it i got like Mm. i was really because i really wanted to understand everything and i didn't i feel like before reading my i literally feel this way before my mission i don't know what the hell i was reading i'm like "What, what i was not reading this the right way and then after my mission i felt like i actually was reading the scriptures correctly and so i was very like obsessed with like understanding everything Mm. and like i joke with people that like i had certain parts of the scriptures memorized because i would read certain things so much that i was like it's like a part of me
0: Mm. interesting interesting okay
1: and if we're getting a little like in the business and my patriarchal blessing it talks about like me and the scriptures a lot so don't know what that means though for me and my lifestyle that i currently (laughs) live but (laughs) (laughs) i'm for real
0: (laughs) okay i want to jump into something else um and you may have heard about this, but I want to get your your thoughts on okay. it. Okay. All right. So we're going to jump into this really quick. So I watched a video on TikTok earlier this week, and it's a dude that, um, it's a, a white guy from the UK, and he identifies as Korean. Oh, I saw this. You saw this video, yeah. So we're going to, uh, we'll play it for y'all. And if you haven't seen it, just look it up I on, saw on this. TikTok. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about it. Hold on. Let me play the video real quick. Tell me how you racially identify. I identify as Korean. I used to live in Korea. I was living there for one year. I love the culture, I love the history, the people. You know, I've put myself through a lot of pain. I've had a lot of surgical procedures to have more of a Korean aesthetic. I spend a lot of time learning the language, learning how to cook Korean food. I came out earlier this year, sharing that with the world. People didn't really get it. Not everybody will understand straight away, but I hope over time people will be kind of more accepting with me. Transracial.
1: I came out as Korean. Yeah. Oh, sit down. So I'm so sorry. No. He says yeah. He says he went Negative. through a lot of pain
0: and a lot of um like things to to become I guess Korean. And looking at this video of him, this is literally a white man with lip fillers and cornrows. Um and <laughs> he nothing about him looks Korean, right? Um but he said that, you know, he's he's really like trying to 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 help himself identify as Korean and, like, get into that. And so, you know, I, I was talking with some people about it this week, and my initial thought was, no, absolutely not. Transracialism is not a thing. It's not real. It's ridiculous. But I've heard a lot of, like, differing things about it. And so I want to know what your thoughts on transracialism are. Do you feel like it should be something that's valid? Do you feel like this guy is Korean? What do you think?
1: I think no. And the reason I say that most of it stems and the only people who can do that are people who have the privilege to do that and to adopt in most times right mm-hmm. and so I think that's my biggest like reason why I don't think that it should be allowed because most of the time it's white people who want to be a part of um, these groups I don't know and so um, th- that's kind of my opinion I think that We should not encourage people to do that, nor allow them to do that. Remember Rachel Dolezal and that whole situation. And then there was another professor a couple a while ago who also, it wasn't Rachel Dolezal, it was someone else that came out as, they were identifying as black and then it came out that they weren't black, right? So I think, yeah, it's just a no for me because people, I don't know, I think you can still culturally appreciate and be a part of it and celebrate parts of someone's culture without having to identify as a part of it and having to like take it on for yourself i don't know if that makes sense what i'm saying and i guess i also have a skewed perception because i myself am a black person so i've never had to worry about that or feel like oh i'm i i don't like the group that i'm in but so that's like kind of biased but at the same time i feel like it's it's a no for me
0: yeah so that's what i wanted to know because like that's where i was too and now i'm like not so sure right
1: why what did someone say to you that made you think differently
0: (sighs) so a few things right so obviously i don't you know there is the privilege aspect like me as a black man i could never be like hey i'm a white man um i identify as white let me go like bleach my skin right um and you know get plastic surgery or whatever if i do that that doesn't automatically give me the the privileges that, like, a white person no, would have. No, right? exactly. Um, my credit score is not going to go up.
1: Chow. <laughs> uh, not the credit score <laughs> jokes. Y'all are done.
0: Well, uh, no, so, but, like, in all seriousness, like, I, you know, I'm not just going to, you know, they're, they're still going to, I don't know, that's not something that I would be able to do the same way that Rachel Dolezal was able to pass for black. You know, yeah. she kind of took advantage of, of of where she was and, like, you know, she gave herself an extremely dark tan and she just kind of, like, took advantage of the fact that people would just kind of believe her and accept her as black because she said that's what she was. If I were to do that and say that I was a white man, um, people are not going to believe me and accept me for that. And I'm right. certainly not going to get the treatment um, that that a white person would, um, you know. And so there is that element of it. However, there's also the mental aspect, right, which is this is where it gets challenging. Okay. Because um, you know, there's lived experience, right? And, you know, I was talking to somebody about this and we're talking about how this differs from sexuality, where if, uh, if a man, um, feels that they identify as a woman and they decide to, to go through that process of transitioning into becoming a woman, then, you know, regardless of how their lived experience was up until that time, Mm -hmm. um, it's not our place to say, you can't be Right, uh, you can't be a woman or vice versa, a woman, you know, it's, regard, it's not our place to say that they can't be. So in this instance, there's the there's the cultural aspect. I don't think that it's right that a white person can say, oh, I identify as this culture and I'm now going to like become a part of this culture yeah. in that way. But I also feel like it's tricky because who are we to say that's not how they feel? You know, in, in the rest of that video, um, the person talks about how he hated who he was and then he went to korea had an incredible experience and um like left feeling like he wanted to be korean which you know okay he didn't like being white decided he wanted to be korean because he had a good time there whatever but like in his head he feels like he's korean and so i guess there's like the tricky part because it's like who are we to say that he doesn't feel that way you know what i mean what do you think like it's a it's a weird spot, like i I feel like I don't support it. I don't want this to be a thing, but at the same time, like,
1: yeah, okay. Know. My first thoughts about that with that like kind of framework of idea is mm-hmm. I feel like sexuality and race are very different in a lot of ways, and we always need to make that distinction in my opinion, mm-hmm. um however. I think that the difference is I mean this is just me thinking out loud kind of originally it's like I mean it kind of goes back to the idea about sexuality and like gender it's like I don't know I think gender is fluid in certain ways it's not binary right and like right we can't tell someone that if they you know feel that they want to be a woman we can't take that away from them if they feel like they were they are not the right gender um and race just doesn't seem like the same thing to me i don't know like race just doesn't race doesn't seem like the same i don't feel like they're the same thing because mm, i would agree there's race is so different and also like ethnically right there's a lot of cultural things that come along with it and also i think in particular with this person when they said they, they hated who they were there's just so much stuff that goes into that that's different than sexuality in my opinion. Why someone can not like who they are. And th- the difference is this. You can still okay, we all know that one white person who be at every black event, who do a lot of things for black people and they are confident in that. They don't they don't blink twice. They be at the events and they're there and they do things because th- and they don't—they know they're not black, but they have a strong appreciation for the culture, and they identify or black or white people or Hispanic people, whoever it may be, who are raised in a culture separate than them. Example: one of my coworkers, she is um, Korean, but she was raised in Mexico. She knows Spanish fluently. She looks Asian. When you see her, you think she's an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. But she—it's not that she doesn't identify as Asian; she just strongly identifies with Mexican culture because that's where she was raised for most of her life. So she doesn't feel like she needs to be transracial, though. She's not out here being like, oh, I now want to be Mexican. Let me change the way I look and start like self-identifying. You know what I mean? She's mm-hmm. like, I know that I am Korean, and I have a Korean culture and a background and a heritage that I know and I identify. But I also strongly identify with this because of my lived experiences and she's not ashamed of that, nor is she trying to hide that, nor is she, like, when she steps in spaces with Hispanic people who may question her belonging, she's confident and, like, this is where I feel like I belong. And you'll see that eventually. Mm -hmm. Right? And so my thing is, if you really want to be a part of another group, I think that that's the approach that you should take. Like, I feel strongly. This is where I belong. And, like, if you don't think that's for me, like, that's you and the people who accept me accept me kind of the idea of like white people who join BGLOs, Black Greek Letter Organizations. The people who do that normally like are very appreciative and understand the culture. They understand the history. Mm-hmm. There's some black people who don't really mess with that and don't think that white people should be a part of their organizations. But there's other black people who are like, no, that's fine with me. I don't know. I think that it's more complex and there's a way that you can still appreciate and be a part of the culture without being transracial mm-hmm. and deciding like I'm going to re-identify myself Um, Because that just lacks awareness, in my opinion, and lacks like the racial the aspect of race that is dependent upon the way someone looks at you and the way they interpret who you are, and for you to try to physically change that, you're acknowledging that, but it's also realizing that like that will never happen at the end of the day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's yeah it's I don't know it's 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 very complicated. Uh
1: Yeah, Don't so cancel me cool. in 10 years if you come back and listen to this <laughs> and I'm real. all wrong.
0: Oh, They said this back in, in 2022. 20, and now in 2042, you know.
1: Transracialism is a thing. And I she behold. was anti this. And it's like, right, right. this is just how I'm feeling right now based on my mm-hmm. experience and what I know. And things could change and I could be enlightened. But at this point, this is not something that I feel like is is okay for multiple reasons.
0: Right. I feel like I would need to see, uh, for me to be fully okay. Like, I guess, okay, so if I were to meet this guy, Right, and he said, oh, I'm Korean. I'd be like, No, you're not, but yeah. I, I respect you. Like, okay, if you if you say you're Korean, then by all means, fine. You think what you want to think, feel how you want to feel. Yeah, however, I will never see you as a Korean person. Right, um, and
1: it's not, it's not, it's not even out of disrespect for him. I feel like it's out of respect for Korean people. Th- right. Like, did that make sense? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's the difference with sexuality. Like, people who are like, I will never see you as this gender, like, it's not out of be- respect for women, it's out of them being. I don't know, disrespectful to that person, right. I feel like. Yeah, and
0: I feel like that would be different. Like, you know, if someone identifies as a woman or identifies as a man, that's different. Like I would see them as whatever they choose to identify as. But like with this, I feel like for me to be fully okay with it, I would have to see uh I would have to see people of all races yeah. like being able to benefit from it. You know? Mm. Like if I saw yes if I saw a Korean person get some kind of surgery, like Mm. turn them into a white person and then they were automatically like able to benefit from that. Right, right. Or if I saw a black person being able to do the same thing, um, then maybe I would be like, okay, maybe this can be a thing. But since it's only white people and this just kind of like plays into the whole like the whole thing that white people have for like stealing other people's cultures or like taking things and culturally appropriating them, I feel like this is just like an extended version of that. It's just like. I agree. I don't even know, like enhanced again, cultural appropriation. It's mostly
1: white people that do it. So that's why it's right. like, we have to look at this. It's not like sexuality, there's men and women who are mm. both. And it's, it doesn't harm anyone, right? right? Like doing that. It doesn't. And so I just think this this can be harmful though.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said too, like you can definitely appreciate something without feeling like you have to be yeah. that thing. I think a perfect example, I was listening to another podcast, was kind of talking about this, but a perfect example is Eminem. Right. Yes. Eminem, yeah, he's a great example. He grew up on Eight Mile Road, which if you don't know, that's like a real tough road in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it, it's the hood. He grew like, up in the hood. He yep. grew up in the hood. so like he grew up steeped in black culture. Like most of the people around him were black. He spent yep. a lot of time hanging out, you know, like hip hop, um, you know, very big where he grew up and things like that. And so he has like a deep appreciation and a deep respect for that. At the same time, he's not trying to be a black person. Right. Like he knows fully that he is a white man in the hip hop industry. And he just does like he and that's what he does. Like as a rapper, he, he he's a white rapper in, in like a in a predominantly black field, like in, in the hip hop industry. Yeah. And um, he's never tried to be anything else. And I think that's why he gets a lot of respect from mm-hmm. other rappers. Like you never hear anybody like bad mouthing Eminem. Um, in terms of like his craft they may you know come up with arguments talking about why he's not that good or like underrated or whatever or overrated um but like overall people respect eminem in the field yes and it's because he is who he is and he has like he has respect and appreciation for the art of of hip-hop and he doesn't like try to come in and take that away right or try to claim that he's the best or anything like that um so, yeah, I think that like for that and for that reason, he's like a perfect example of of how things could be without like having to say or oh, identify as uh, a transracial person. And know? like
1: so, he's yeah. still adopted in black culture in certain ways because of that.
0: Right, right. Like even so, in the Super Bowl, he was up there performing with Doctor right. J, Snoop Dogg, Well, and like Kendrick. people
1: would like. I don't know. It's like we joke with our honorary black people. like mm-hmm. People who jokingly are given that title never do go out of their way to get be given that title.
0: Right, right.
1: They're always like, it's just who they are and the way they've approached understanding our culture and participating in the culture. Mm-hmm. The ones who try to act like they're black, that's when we look at them like, no, nah, go sit down. Right. right. We don't like that. And so I think that that's the biggest difference. I don't know. A lot of feelings. Yeah, that makes sense. That kind of
0: reminds me of a funny story, actually. There well, was... <laughs> a few months ago, I was, um, like, at this this event and I ended up talking with this white guy. And he, like, said a few things with an accent. And I was like, that's an interesting way of saying that. Like, why are you talking like that? And so I was like, where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm from Wyoming. I'm like, why are you talking like that? Like, the things that he was saying, it was like, if you heard a black person like try, or if you heard a white person try to imitate a black person's speech pattern or like imitate AAVE, that's what he sounded like talking to me. But it wasn't like natural. And so I asked him, I was like, where are you from? And when he told me Wyoming. I was like, all right, so you just out here like speaking with a whole black sin. Like, right. Know? And I remember like in that moment, I was like, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just all respect just kind of went out the window because I was like, why are you pretending to be something that you're not? Yeah. In order to try and like cater to me, like, I'd much <laughs> rather you just be a white boy from Wyoming talking to me. Right. That's what's and be up. cool. Then like Shout out to
1: the cowboys. Out <laughs> here,
0: right. <laughs> out you're trying to like misuse the misuse the terminology to, mm-hmm. to try and fit in with me. And so yeah, I think it's important. You gotta have the appreciation and respect, but you also gotta know where you come from. Yeah. And like make sure that the two are aligned.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well that that's it for today then.
0: Mm-hmm. That's all we got. Yeah. Catch y'all next week.
1: Yes. Thank you for joining us on the Black Menace podcast today. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at The Black Menaces. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, where you can get bonus content from from us on the podcast as well as extra clips from our videos that we film and don't forget to email us at black at gmail.com for menace moments or any other questions that you want us to answer because this show is for you guys thank you
0: and remember always be a menace
1: thank you